You're on EducateForLife.com radio with Kevin Conover. And if you listen long enough, your faith will become... I'm tired of being conned. Don't worry, the con is over, see? We're now at DEFCON 1. Did you say carnivore or carnivore? have a conversation with Kevin? Then call 800-243-9719. And now, here's your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your time and bring your shame. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website is educateforlife.org. And you know, there's a popular question out there that comes up a lot of times whenever you talk about Christianity and you talk about Christian history. People will often say that Hitler was a Christian and therefore or Christians aren't exempt from uh, the problems that are caused by religion or whatever the case. You'll hear often hear skeptics say something like, hey, religion is uh, the cause of a lot of the problems. They'll bring up things like crusade, the crusade. They'll bring up things uh, about Hitler being a Christian and so forth. And uh, oftentimes, you know, I've heard people say uh, Hitler was actually influenced by evolution. And so you, you have this back and forth. And it's a question that I've always wanted an answer to. And today I have a very special guest on the show because he is an expert on this very issue. His name is Dr. Richard Weikart. Uh, Dr. Weikart, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, um, Dr. Weikar authored a book called From Darwin to Hitler. Uh, He's currently just recently published a book called The Death of Humanity. And coming up is a book um, called Hitler's Religion. Is that right, Dr. Weikar? That's correct. Yeah. When does that come out, Hitler's Religion? It's going to come out in November. Okay, fantastic. Now, um, uh, if you, if Dr. Weikart was also on the movie Expelled, uh, Ben Stein was in this movie, and I remember seeing you for the first time and watching you. Uh, you were at a, that was filmed, where was that filmed in Germany? We filmed in two different places. One was at Hadamar, which was a place where the Nazis carried out some of their euthanasia, so-called euthanasia program, mm-hmm. where they killed at that particular site over 10,000 uh, disabled Germans. And then we also filmed some of the Dachau, the concentration camp in Southern Germany. Okay. Yes, that's right. And, uh, that's where I was introduced to, uh, what you were doing and everything. I thought it was really interesting. And I had this, uh, interesting, I went to an evolutionary seminar a while back and we sat down in a circle and it was all people. It was set to celebrate Darwin's birthday. I just like to put myself out there in you know, these kind of situations just to learn from people who don't agree with me. And I was sitting in a circle and I said to the guy that was leading it, I said, uh, is it true that some races are more evolved than other races? And I think this question kind of took him aback, (laughs) (laughs) but I was thinking to myself, well, hey, uh, you know, if we've all evolved, well, it makes sense that some races are more, more evolved than others. And he looked at me and everybody in the, the group just went silent. And he looked at me and he said, well, uh, you know, that's an interesting question, but I think we should focus on other issues. And uh, <laughs> so he moved the discussion on very quickly. But uh, Dr. Weikart, I just uh, wanted to ask you, you know, how did you get started in this interest in, I mean, nobody as a little kid goes, you know what, I really want to study Hitler and, uh, you know, these sorts of things uh, as I as I get older. What caused you to move in this direction? And, uh, you you know, where did that road take you? Did you grow up in a Christian family? Uh, I grew up in a family that was uh, a Christian, at least nominally, although yeah. I didn't uh, 
receive Christ until I was 16, and partly through influences coming from outside of my family and the church that I grew up in. I was actually part of the Jesus People Movement, where I was saved in, in 1974. And now, where was uh, that? What part that of was the... in, That was in Colorado Springs, okay. where my parents lived, yeah. So, I had, now, I'm curious, how did the Jesus... What happened there, the Jesus Movement? Oh, they had some Christian communes in the area. There were a lot of hippies that were getting people coming out of drug uh, culture that were getting saved. Uh, there and the particular place where I got saved was a home meeting that was meeting on Friday evenings. They would start at eight o'clock and sometimes go to eleven or midnight and sing a lot of songs, praise songs, and, <laughs> and such like that. That's great. And there's very lively, much different than what I'd experienced in sort of liturgical church where I'd sure. grown up. Sure. So uh, you you experienced the relational aspect of uh, Christianity. Yeah, and actually, I'd never heard that actually in the church I grew up in that you could have a relationship with Christ. Yeah. Uh, that it, you'd always had faith in Christ. That was what it was always stressed but that you could actually know Christ and that he would talk to you and speak to you and such. I didn't, that was new to me at that time. Yeah. And that made all the difference. Huh? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. Okay. So you're 16, you get saved, you move on, you're going through high school. Uh, what's going through your mind that you, you get to college. Uh, how do you move towards this study of uh, the connection between Hitler and evolution? Well, actually, interestingly, I was, I was very interested in, in Darwinism uh, fairly early on uh, in, when I was a teenager. In fact, I think it was even before I had my conversion experience, I was studying things about Darwinism and, and I was skeptical about uh, it a good bit. Uh, but I sort of dropped that for quite a while. Uh, when, I went to, when I did my undergraduate studies, uh, I got interested in European intellectual history, history of ideas and uh, I read Francis Schaeffer's works and was interested in how uh, there had been moral decline caused by many of the philosophies in Europe, especially coming out of Europe, but also in the United States uh, for, in the 19th and 20th centuries. For, for example, give us some examples. When you say there's moral, moral decline based on uh, intellectual ideas, what are, what are you talking about? Well, uh, Schaefer basically tra- tried to track it back to Hegel, although I think Kant was actually a, a big influence, too, in, in bringing about this uh, uh, the notion, even though Kant still did believe in deontological kind of ethics or objective kind of morality, yeah. nonetheless, the, his view that there was this distinction between uh, the uh, what he called the noumenal realm and the phenomenal realm, the noumenal realm being the realm of God and ethics and, and such, and the phenomenal realm being the realm of nature and such. He drew the strict dichotomy between those two, which I think was sort of uh, helped produce later philosophies such as Hegel's and others that uh, Schaefer focused on as being sort of bringing in this, these ideas of uh, historicism, which means the idea that things change historically over time, including morality. So the yeah. idea is that morality then just changes over time. So I, I got interested in intellectual history as an undergraduate, but uh, then I actually went to Germany for several years and lived there uh, to learn the language. I actually stayed longer than I expected <laughs> there. I came back and went to grad school. And I wasn't really thinking about Darwinism at the time, but through a an incident where the professor that I was thinking about working with under European intellectual history, when I got to the university of Iowa for my PhD work, uh, transferred somewhere else. And so I ended up working with a historian of science that did German science. Yeah. And so I decided to work with him on the history of German Darwinism and, and, uh, and themes related to that for my dissertation. Well, my dissertation was actually on the, the reception of Darwinism by German socialists in the late 19th century. So Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels and others. Wow. That's uh, so like interesting. That. So Karl Marx, uh, would you say that communism uh, was influenced by evolutionary thought? Well, actually, Marx was influenced more by Hegel than by Darwin. In fact, Darwin's publications didn't come about till after uh, Marx had already developed most of his ideas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they were definitely evolutionary kinds of ideas, social evolution yeah. going on. Interestingly, though, once Darwin published his work, 
uh, Marx and Engels both uh, thought that it was wonderful, the idea about biological evolution, because it got rid of the idea of teleology. And, Mar- and Engels even says this in a letter that he wrote to Marx. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, this gets rid of teleology. That's wonderful. You know, no more, now, purpose in, no more purpose in the universe. Yeah. Now, most of our listeners probably don't know what teleology is, but can you explain that real quick? Yeah, it's the idea that there's purpose in the universe, so that, that the universe has a purpose, that there's meaning uh, to life and such. And so they thought this was great that it got rid of any kind of notion of purpose in the universe because they were atheistic and they didn't believe there was any overarching meaning or purpose yeah. uh, to life. And if there's no overarching purpose or meaning, then basically you can you can make your own playground. And, and essentially yeah. that's what they did with communism was sure. say, hey, we've created a whole new world. This is these are the new rules for the new world. Although interesting, I think there's there's and, and I I think there's tensions in their worldview uh, because I think there's a sense in which they do seem to think that there are some kind of objective realities and objective truths. I mean, Marx tried to pose as a scientist of society, for example. So he does try to you know, pose as uh, having some natural laws of society that he, he he talks about this. So, I mean, I think there's some basic tensions within his worldview that sort of undercuts his own yeah. position. The proletariat, the bourgeoisie, the, the, the sure. rules that happen there and everything. Okay. Very interesting, huh? So... So uh, what we want to talk about here is, um, is it true that there is an influence uh, that Hitler was influenced by evolutionary views, Darwinism and so forth? Uh, Because why is that an important question to answer? Well, interestingly, I didn't think I didn't even think that was an important question when I first started my research on some of these topics. I was actually looking at the history of Darwinism in Germany. Uh, and I started off uh, on when I was doing my dissertation about the reception by the socialist uh, by the socialists. I noticed that there were a lot of Darwinists who were trying to replace Judeo-Christian ethics with evolutionary ethics, and that piqued my interest. I was always interested in the moral decline and such, so this, this got me interested. Okay, how did this play itself out in the, in the history of morality? So I decided to do a research project on evolutionary ethics in Germany in the late 19th century, and I wasn't even thinking about Hitler. In fact, I thought that the Nazi period was pretty overworked, and so I wasn't even thinking that I was going <laughs> to yeah, do anything yeah. relating to Nazism. But the more I started studying evolutionary ethics, the more I started realizing, hmm, it's, it seems like Hitler was an evolutionary ethicist himself. Sounds like he was embracing evolutionary ethics yeah. of a type. And so uh, thus I made the connection, and that's how my book From Darwin to Hitler uh, came about. That's fantastic. Well, my guest today is Dr. Richard Weikart, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. I think this this subject is very interesting. And not only is it very in- interesting uh, theoretically, but it has very uh, practical implications for our lives and how we think in our culture today. And so we're going to be right back. Uh, again, my, my guest is Dr. Richard Weicker. And if you'd like to visit his website, it's darwintohitler.com. I'm your guest today on Educate for Life. I'm, your, I'm, sorry, I'm not your guest. I'm your host today on Educate for Life Radio, Kevin Conover. We're going to be right back. What do leading local restaurants have in common? They depend on Express Fix Coffee for new and used coffee and espresso machines, repairs, and affordable monthly service. Dave Martin and his local team provide water filtration services too. Call San Diego's best espresso repair company, serving your home and business. Learn more online at expressfixcoffee.com. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. 619-867-3853. 
Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Add historic American beauty to your home today with genuine Amish furniture. It's built in the USA from solid cherry wood with a bourbon finish. Or choose alternative woods and finishes to accent your home's decor. You'll find it all at Tucker's Valley Furniture. For over 65 years, the Tucker family has served San Diego County. Still family owned. Cash and Carry and Tucker's Valley Furniture. Two stores, both right across the street at Main and Mollison in El Cajon. Learn more at Tucker'sValleyFurniture.com. When you need tire or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 7.30 to 5.30 and Saturdays, 7.30 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. I will Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover, and my website is educateforlife.org. If you haven't, if you didn't get to hear this whole uh, program, you can listen to it on my website. We got a podcast. We got it on YouTube. Uh, you can look up lots of previous shows, all kinds of fantastic stuff out there. My guest today is Dr. Richard Weikart, and he is an expert on the relationship uh, between Darwinism and Hitler. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of skeptics out there. They hear this and immediately they go, oh, my God. Uh, a bunch of Christians trying to make evolution look bad by connecting it to Hitler. But uh, have, is, has that been a response you've gotten when you wrote your book, um, you know, Darwin to Hitler, Dr. Weikart? Oh, yeah, quite often, in fact. Uh, and uh, there's the so-called Godwin's Law that is out there. I don't know if you've heard of this, but the Godwin's Law is the idea that uh, every a discussion of any kind of evil automatically degenerates down to Hitler and auto- Hitler <laughs> and Hitler will eventually get mentioned as yeah, being yeah. A, a, a parallel with some, any particular evil that's out there. And sure. so, yeah, so a lot of people that are very skeptical of that, but what's interesting is that I'm a historian and so I'm, I'm being paid to try to figure out historical connections. And yeah. so, uh, and like I suggested, actually, I wasn't originally, when I originally started my research project, I wasn't thinking of, you know, connecting Darwin to Hitler. It wasn't like I started off thinking, oh, you know, how can I connect these things? It sort of came out of my empirical research. I started doing research on evolutionary ethics in the late 19th century. And one of the things that I found out was that some of the people who are promoting evolutionary ethics in the late 19th century were also promoting euthanasia for people with disabilities. Ernst Haeckel being one of the most prominent figures there. He was a German biologist. He was the leading Darwinist in Germany in the late 19th century and early 20th century. Haeckel's um, embryos. And he was, he was the first German intellectual to promote euthanasia, to promote the killing of disabled babies. Wow. Uh, and then later on in 1904, he also, that was back in uh, 1870, if I recall correctly, or 1871. 
And then in uh, 1904, he promoted the, the killing of people, adults with disabilities as well, and expanded it. But so I started finding out these kinds of things, started seeing the way that uh, Darwinism was contributed to the devaluing of human life in these kinds of ways. And I also started finding out that the people who were writing about evolutionary ethics in the late in the 1890s and on into the early 1900s were mostly people in the eugenics movement, which was a movement to try to improve human heredity to uh, through controlling reproduction in yeah. various kinds of ways. There's a movie, and, uh, the movie Twins, uh, Danny DeVito and uh, Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger are, uh, they're trying to breed a superhuman and, and uh, Danny DeVito is all the junk and Arnold Schwarzenegger is all the good stuff. Have you heard, have you seen that? No, I haven't seen the movie. Though. Yeah. Yeah. But, and it's, 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 it has eugenic undertones. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. And the eugenics movement was a pretty powerful movement in the United States as well as Germany and Britain, uh, but especially in Germany, and the United States in the early 20th century. And so I started finding that these people were pushing eugenics. And of course, eugenics was very uh, much uh, a part of Nazi ideology as well yeah. as, as and euthanasia, the euthanasia program the Nazis ran. And so I started, you know, finding these connections that were just, you know, flying in the face at me. Uh, and then as I started thinking more and more about the way that racism was being integrated also into a lot of the Darwinian thinking in the late mm. 19th century, a lot yeah. of the, there were a lot of German uh, social Darwinists who were pushing racism and even racial extermination, talking about how uh, the Australian Aborigines were being mm. killed off by the Europeans and that this was a part of the natural struggle for existence. And and there were quite a few thinkers that were upholding these kinds of ideas. So these kinds of ideas were being promoted by uh, people back in the 1870s, even 1860s, 1870s, long before Hitler was even born, yeah. uh, were ideas that Hitler was later going to take off with. Now, it's very interesting to me because so, so what we're looking at here is you, you've got a person that believes in God. You've got a person that generally believes in evolution. If you believe in God and that God made uh, people and that all people came uh, from Adam and Eve, then what you have is you have this, uh, you, you have all people are equal essentially, right? Uh, mm-hmm. God, God created all men equally versus uh, if we've evolved, then one race is more evolved than another. Um, how does somebody like one of the new atheists, like uh, Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris or somebody, uh, how do they respond to these kind of claims that, I mean, because that's got to make you look bad when you're like, Hey, I believe in evolution. I mean, we could publish, put bumper stickers. Uh, if you believe in evolution, then you believe one race is better than another. <laughs> I mean, that's going to make you look bad. How do people respond to that when you bring this up? Well, most Darwinists, of course, today don't believe that their, the racial differences make people that unequal, which I think, but in the late 19th century, they actually did for the most part. Most Darwinists in the late 19th and early 20th century, if you read uh, anthropological works, if you read biolo- biology textbooks, they all taught racial inequality and that it was a natural part and that it was came out of the natural struggle for existence. That uh, and because one of the things that, that you have to have to get evolution off the ground is variation. Yeah. And racial variation was considered to be one of those things. Now, most Darwinists today, of course, because of the way that the history of racism and then the history of the progressives and movement and everything like that, you know, want to steer as far clear as racism as they can. There are a few exceptions to that, however. Yeah. Uh, John Watson, uh, ex- uh, no, James Watson, rather, the uh, co-discoverer of the uh, uh the double helix model of DNA, for example, has made some racist utterance that has stirred a lot of controversy. Uh, but I mean, there is some, there is a certain amount of logic to that idea yeah. that 
races, some races would be more developed than others. And Darwin himself clearly believed that some races were more developed than others, both intellectually and also, interestingly, morally. As I've studied evolutionary ethics, it's, they think that some races have higher morality than others. Wow. This was also Hitler's view, too. Now, that's interesting because I had a um, I had a scientist who was an atheist come to my class. I had taught a whole, uh, you know, I'm a, I teach on this subject, too. And I I had a, a whole um, unit on evolution and evolutionary ethics and all this stuff. And I like to bring in an atheistic evolutionary scientist to my class and let him teach for an hour and let the students question him. Uh, and a couple of my students started asking him, where do you get your morals from? And I was very surprised that, well, I don't think he was expecting the question, but he immediately said, they said, do you get your, your, your morals from evolution? And he said, oh, that would be an awful place to get your morals from. And I was thinking to myself, well, if you don't get them from there, then where do you get them? But he said, Hey, survival of the fittest would promote, you know, murder, oppression, potentially rape, all sorts of things. And so I was thinking to myself, okay, you know, what's left, but that's what I hear most often is that morals are simply a byproduct of our evolution. Um, and you, you're, you've written a book on, uh, you know, these sorts of issues where, where do you, can somebody justify the idea that evolution produces morals? Well, there's actually two different, uh, viewpoints that you have to think about here when you're thinking about this particular question. One is, can you derive your morality from the evolutionary process? But that's a separate question from whether morality could have evolved as an instinct, you know, within a human being. Those are two different kinds of questions. And most, and Richard Dawkins, for example, would say that morality has evolved within the human species. It's, you know, it's part of our instinctual makeup or biological makeup yeah, group, and such. Uh, and so we have that. But he would not say that, therefore, we should take base our morality on the struggle for existence because the the morality that has come about biologically has created group cohesion and other kinds of things and has allowed us to cooperate and other kinds of things like that. But what was still true, though, no matter no matter what they no matter what they want to claim, yeah. what is still the case, though, is that that morality has no objective basis. There's nothing that is universal about it. In fact, Darwin very clearly believed that different races had different moralities, uh, and certainly different species had different moralities. And in fact, interestingly, you're talking about at the top of the hour about uh, the uh, about the the 2009 celebrations or Darwinism. And I was actually here in San Diego at San oh. Diego State University at the conference. I don't know if that's where you were, but I was at San Diego State University at a conference about the impact of Darwinism on the humanities and social sciences and such. And I was, I was presenting a paper there too. And when I was talking with different people there, but one of the guys that was there was a rap artist named Baba Brinkman, who was, had been commissioned to do these rap songs about evolution and everything for the wow. celebration of the year. <laughs> but he, great. <laughs> but he got up and he said, uh, basically that, you know, there are some species like uh, black widows uh, who after they mate, they eat their, they eat their mate. Yeah. And he said, it's just a flip of the coin. He said that that's not what we're like. And he said, if that's what we'd have been like, that's what all of our moral and religious systems would have revolved around. Oh, killing how, our mate after. Yeah. How know, awful. After mating. So, so and and Darwin and many other Darwinists in the, in the late 19th and early 20th century were saying sort of similar kinds of things that it didn't really that there's no uh, that the fact that we uh, do one behavior rather than other is just something that's a chance event that's taken place because it helped us in the struggle for existence. And essentially, that means anything's permissible. 
I mean, because who's to say that we're not moving in that direction already? Sure, because selfishness also, even though they'll, they'll, a lot of times the people that talk about this stuff want to focus on the cooperation, but selfishness also evolved too. And, and so all the other behaviors you're going to have to explain too, warfare, you're going to have to yeah. explain genocide, all these other things, they're natural Jeez. too. Oh my goodness. My guest today is Dr. Richard Weikart. Very, very interesting stuff. He is the author of Darwin to Hitler and also a book, The Death of Humanity, that recently came out. And... Uh, in November, Hitler's religion is going to come out. So we've got a lot to talk about. Stay with us. We're going to be right back. I'm your host today, Kevin Conover. Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart. This is Throughout All Ages Ministry with Joe and Stacy. We would like to equip you to share the gospel with confidence in a biblical and effective way. We would like to teach you through the proclamation of the gospel. Whether you're the skeptic, God who created you said that he has made himself known to you so that you are without excuse. One-on-one evangelism. How do you think you can get to heaven? Never really thought about it, but I've always thought of, you know, doing good. For more information, go to throughoutallages.com, like us on Facebook, or visit us at YouTube at Throughout All Ages. Not all home inspections are created equal. Joe DeMars and his team at Housemaster have performed inspections in San Diego for 22 years plus and performed over 10,000 inspections for commercial, multiple family, apartments, and residential. Call before you buy or sell. You'll have confidence knowing the true condition of the property. Call 619-660-7866, sandiego.housemaster.com. Home inspections, done right, guaranteed. 619-660-7866. Imagine restoring your health in a peaceful cabin in the forests of Julian, California. Milan Chessman knows the power of nutrition, detox, cleansing, and fasting. She is a 34-year pioneer, best-selling author, and nutritionist, and personally supervises and cares for you with a servant's heart. See testimonials and solutions for common health problems at a1fastingretreat.com, 619-562-5446. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 619-222-0766. I'm giving it all away. No more hiding. No more stalling. I hear you calling me. Thanks for tuning in to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover, and my website is educateforlife.org. You can also like us on Facebook. We're on Facebook. Uh, Please check us out. I love feedback. Any shows that are particularly helpful to you, that's wonderful. We're also on YouTube, educateforlifevideo.com, and uh, you can check us out there. And uh, my guest today, Dr. Richard Weichart, uh, has done a lot of studying on uh, European history. He has a PhD in modern European history from the University of Iowa. He currently uh, teaches up at Cal State Stanislas. Where is that exactly, Dr. Weikart? That's in Turlock in the Central Valley, about halfway between Sacramento and Fresno. Okay, great. Is there a lot of people there, a lot, little people? Is that a t- big town? or uh, The town, uh, Turlock's about 70,000, I think. Or something okay. Like the university is about uh, eight to 9,000. That's fantastic. Okay, and um, uh, Dr. Weikart, you, you wrote Darwin to Hitler. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wrote um, uh, your second book, The Death of Humanity. Uh, what is The Death of Humanity about? 
Yeah, it's actually my fifth book. Oh, I'm sorry, your fifth book. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, The Death of Humanity is a book that looks at the way that secular ideologies since the Enlightenment period have eroded the Judeo-Christian sanctity of life ethic, and thus mm-hmm. bringing us into what some people refer to as a culture of death today, where abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, and, and other bioethical issues like that are uh, sort of common among, especially in the intelligentsia of our uh, of our society. Uh, and what I, I basically look at a very broad range of uh, ideologies. I teach a course on uh, European intellectual history, and I basically take almost all of those ideologies that I cover in that class. Uh, uh, materialism, positivism, utilitarianism, socialism, uh, behavior psychology, Freudian psychology, I mean, and, and many more. And I look at how they have impacted our thinking about human life and what and the value of human life. Hmm. And I show that basically, if you discard the idea of God and that humans are created in the image of God, that then you uh, come up with the have to fall back on the idea that humans are just a chance product of eons of time and thus don't have any intrinsic value. And of course, there are, there are a lot of intellectuals today that will actually say that point blank. Yeah. Peter, Peter Singer, for example, I debated Peter Singer in, in April on, uh, or I think it's actually aired in early May uh, on Unbelievable, a radio station out of London. Now, where is uh, Peter Singer at? He's at, uh, he's at Princeton. Princeton. He's yeah. at Princeton now. Yeah. Now, he's the one who said that, isn't his view that you can actually abort a baby after it's born? You can commit infanticide, essentially? Yes, correct. He does not believe that a, a, a newborn baby has uh, a right to life. In fact, he doesn't believe there is such a thing as a right to life. But he believes that only certain traits that humans have are what give them value, and it's particularly rationality. So, a, a baby he doesn't think has enough rationality to you know, be even as valuable as some other animals. So he thinks that, say, a full-grown ape is worth more than a human baby Whoa. because it has a greater amount of rationality. Right, and we just had this so, whole uh, issue with the gorilla that uh, th- that right. brought that kind of to the forefront, uh, yeah. whether they should have shot the gorilla or right. not, or they should have uh, let the kid die. Right. And a lot of people were saying they should have let the kid die. Yeah. But there, there are a lot of... Is uh, that what you're talking about in this death of humanity? I do talk about those kinds of issues. Yeah. Uh, but I, I and, and many more. I mean, I talk about a whole range of uh, ideologies that have contributed to this undermining of the sanctity of life ethic and led us to a place where we don't value human life anymore and where sometimes animals are valued more than humans now, or, as believe- or humans are just seen as machines sometimes. Yeah. Now, as believers in God, um, obviously, obviously, this is important. Uh, what is the call on our lives here? What 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 is the you know, when you when somebody puts your book down and they walk away from that book, what is it that you're hoping they take away? And what, how do you want that to impact them and change the way they live? Well, one of the things I hope that it will impact them uh, in realizing that if we're going to confront the uh, forces of death in our society, such mm-hmm. as the uh, pro-abortion uh, people and the people pushing for euthanasia, which is becoming very strong now in the United States. And specifically California. euthanasia, you're I'm, talking about um, physician assisted suicide, okay. uh, such as we have in California now. Now, now uh, are you, you're 100 percent against physician assisted. I, you know, I hear people say, hey, this person wants to die. Let them die. Where do we draw that line? Well, I, my, I actually cover suicide in, in the book, too. Uh, the the notion of suicide was universally condemned in Western culture because of the Christian influence until the Enlightenment period. And only in the Enlightenment period. Uh, did people begin to think that suicide, and, and again, it was among secular thinkers. David Hume was one of the more prominent figures in the 18th century who wrote an essay on suicide uh, where he began uh, thinking that it was acceptable to commit suicide. And so, yeah, I'm completely opposed to committing suicide yeah. I, uh, because 
our lives are not our own. You know, mm. we're, we've been created in the image of God and he has uh, rights over us yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Uh, we're not just autonomous. All the way back you know, can in the do beginning anything of that Genesis. We want, anything that we want to do. Yeah. What I'm hoping that people, when they read my book, will, will recognize that we have to confront these secular ideologies on a whole on a lot of different levels, if we're going to win the fight for life, mm. that it's not just about, you know, proving that the fetus, you know, has these characteristics and, and such. Those are important things. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, belittling that. That needs to be done. Uh, but we need to fight on a, for a broader front, too, intellectually in a, in, at our universities, at our schools, and such by confronting these dehumanizing ideas. So what, what is the broader front in the sense that, okay, so, so as a Christian, I believe a person is made in the image of God. They have intrinsic value. They have value because of who they are, not just because of what they do or not just because of their rationality. Mm-hmm. It's literally because they are human made in the image of God. Uh, what, what are some other avenues in which that we need to take that fight? Because you know, on a university campus, I mean, I'm going to be at a standstill if I say to somebody, I believe we're made in the image of God. And they say, I believe we're not. And uh, what are some of the other avenues that you're that you're discussing here in which we need to we need to bring that argument to, to bear? Well, one of the things that I try to do is I try to show the inconsistencies in the in the worldviews of the people who are pushing these kind of secular ideologies. And I and just to give one kind of example, and, and I think you can you can do this in a polite way with people you know, who are secularists who you run into who you do do disagree with on what uh, the view of human would humanity would be. Yeah, by trying to to press them and ask them questions about you know where try to figure out where they do really value humans. So to give an example, uh, you know, I will I will sometimes ask people, well, what about Hitler? You know, yeah. since I study Hitler, I mean, I'm I'm an expert on Hitler. Uh, you know, I was talking when I was at San Diego State, for instance, at the conference I was mentioned earlier. Uh, I asked a, a graduate student in philosophy who told me that he believes in evolutionary ethics that morality just evolved. I said, well, what do you do with Hitler? I mean, what do you think about him? And finally, after a bunch of hemming and hawing and saying, well, I don't really like Hitler, he yeah. finally said, well, Hitler's okay. Oh, and I thought. This guy, I hope, went home and thought about what he said. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if he didn't, there's obviously, obviously there is nothing I can do to him if, if that's really the position he wants to take, that Hitler's neither good nor bad. And, you know, but but I think most people are going to flinch at that one. They're not going to say, oh, well, I guess that's all right. You know, I, I guess Hitler, most people realize that there is some kind of objective morality. And so yeah. we need to press and find out where that is in their life. And it might be in places where they're pushing a progressive morality. I mean, Jerry Coyne, for example, Jerry Coyne uh, is an atheist. Uh, he's an evolutionary biologist at the University of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and he uh basically believes that there is no objective morality, that morality has just evolved over time. But then he makes inconsistent statements in his book, Fact versus Faith, for example. He talks about how he thinks secular morality is is uh, superior uh, to religious morality. Well, how can it be superior if there's no nothing to judge it by? Yeah, you yeah. Know? So there's, there's no yardstick around. But he, he does want to think that certain kinds of morality is better than others and that he thinks the progressive kind of stuff that's going on in Europe is better than what we got in the United States. And so he does have this sense in which he thinks there is some yardstick. Yeah, yeah. And so I think we should press those kind of things. And Jerry Coyne, for example, says that he thinks we should be able to commit euthanasia because – or physician-assisted physician suicide – uh, because after all, we have compassion on our dogs. We put them down. So why can't we treat humans like animals? But he didn't want us to treat humans like animals. Yeah. If I went to New York, well, Jerry, let's go to New York City and let's round up all the homeless people and sterilize them and then lock them up until someone gives them a home. 
you know, of course we're not going to do that, but that's what we do to dogs. Yeah. You know, we round them up for stray dogs and put and sterilize them and, <laughs> and put them, lock so them up until someone will take them home. Yeah. So that's a, that's a fantastic point. My guest today is Dr. Richard Weikart, and we are discussing uh, Darwin to Hitler and the death of humanity. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about Hitler's religion. Is it true that he was a Christian or is that just some sort of a myth that people are perpetuating to try to uh, make Christianity look bad? Stay with us. We're going to be right back. In 1947, Gordon Tucker began serving San Diego County families. Today, the family tradition continues with two stores, Tucker's Valley Furniture and Cash and Carry, both right across the street in El Cajon at Maine and Mollison. Whether you want today's modern, eco-friendly furniture or authentic Amish furniture from solid cherry wood built in America, let the Tucker family serve your family. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com. A proud sponsor of Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 7.30 to 5.30, and Saturdays, 7.30 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. Not all home inspections are created equal. Joe DeMars and his team at Housemaster have performed inspections in San Diego for 22 years plus and performed over 10,000 inspections for commercial, multiple family, apartments, and residential. Call before you buy or sell. You'll have confidence knowing the true condition of the property. Call 619-660-7866, sandiego.housemaster.com. Home inspections, done right, guaranteed. 619-660-7866. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 619-222-0766. There's got to be more than going back and forth. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. And uh, check us out on YouTube, our podcast. You can you can uh, visit us on Facebook. Uh, if you'd like to get a recording of today's uh, show, um, you can pick it up on my website and uh, all kinds of fantastic stuff. My guest today is Dr. Richard Weikart, and uh, he is an expert on the relationship of Darwinism uh, to Hitler and his, his philosophical views, as well as so much more. Uh, Dr. Weikart knows a ton. Uh, you can check him out on his website, Darwin to Hitler. 
Insider.com. He's also a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute. Uh, if you don't know about the Discovery Institute, you should make yourself familiar with it. Uh, they they are absolutely phenomenal and just doing uh, world-changing stuff over there. So, uh, fantastic uh, stuff. So, Dr. Weikart, um, is it true that Hitler was a Christian? What's going on there? Yeah, well, that's one of the prominent views, of course, of many atheists and secularists who want to uh, tar Christianity with Hitler. And, and of course, there's some complexity to this question because Hitler at times did identify himself as a Christian, especially in his earlier political career when he was trying to pander to the sensibilities of a lot of the German public uh, who identified themselves largely as Christians. And so the German public was largely nominally Christian. And so Hitler on a couple of occasions, and there's one particular speech in 1922, in April 1922, that's quoted quite frequently mm. where Hitler talked about Jesus being his Lord and Savior and such. Uh, however, what I do in my book, Hitler's Religion, that's going to be coming out in November, is I sort of put that to the test by looking at several things, such as what Hitler said in private uh, versus what he said in public. Yeah. Uh, and also what Hitler's uh, uh, colleagues said about his religious views and what he had shared with them and such. Now, is it and true so, that he came into conflict with the German church? Yes, there were. Yes, there were conflicts between him and the German church. Uh, and most people who uh, acknowledge that said, well, it, yeah, he was in conflict with the institutional church because they weren't, you know, the institutional churches, we should say, because there was the two largest churches were Catholic in the South and Protestant in the North. Uh, but that that didn't mean that he was giving up on Christianity altogether, that he just had maybe a different form of Christianity or something like that. And, and the, the Nazi 25 point program did actually say that the Nazis stood for what they called positive Christianity without ex, without promoting one particular confession, meaning one denomination. Mm. Uh, but if you look at Hitler's private uh, utterances and, and maybe one that's very typical and that very enlightening uh, when Hitler was in uh, prison. After the Beer Hall Putsch uh, in 1925, uh, he his one of his colleagues, Rudolf Hess, who was one of Hitler's closest friends and, and he was private personal secretary, uh, Hess got in a conversation about religion with someone else in the prison. And Hitler stayed out of the conversation. But after the conversation was over, Hitler told Hess that he had to play the hypocrite. Uh, and so and and not speak against Christianity, even though he himself was oh, wow. non-Christian. So there now, were there's times a, there's a record of that conversation. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hess wrote to his wife about it. And wow. so we have the letter uh, that Hess wrote. Uh, so and I have that in my I've, I quote this in my book, uh, Hitler's religion. So you can find it there. So there were places where Hitler in private was clearly not uh, was opposed to Christianity. But publicly, he had to portray an image uh, because he knew that it was be a disaster if he came out, you know, to be anti-Christian publicly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in fact, he even says this in, in Mein Kampf. Mein Kampf is very interesting. If you read about if you read the entire Mein Kampf, there's actually two different sections, one of which he says that we need to be careful. We don't offend anyone's religious sensibilities. And he said that was exactly what went wrong with this Viennese politician named Georg von Schoenerer who had been active when Hitler was living in Vienna in the first decade of the 20th century. Uh, Schoener had led a, a uh, free from Rome movement calling people at, to get out of the Catholic church. And Hitler knew that was, saw that that was a political disaster. And it was. Yeah. Uh, so Hitler warned against doing that same thing. So that's part of the context that Hitler doesn't want to offend people yeah. religiously because he knows it's going to lead down the path to a political oblivion. But uh, if you read later in the second volume of Mein Kampf, Hitler actually does make some very negative comments about Christianity. Uh, 
I forgot the exact term that he used about it, but he, he basically said that it brought terror into the ancient world and that we need to meet terror with terror. Mm. Uh, and so he basically does make clear that he does want to suppress Christianity at that point. There's really a, a really fascinating thing that I found, too, that I didn't know about before I went into my doing this study, too. I started looking for illustrations about Hitler's religion. I came across a really fascinating one where in 1932, uh, Hitler's private photographer, Heinrich Hoffmann, took a photo of Hitler leaving a church. Yes, yeah, I've seen that photo. And there's a cross over Hitler's head. Yep, yep. Uh, it, very bright cross over Hitler's head. Makes it sort of gives a halo effect or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And the caption says something about Hitler, the supposed heretic, you know, coming out of the, the church in, in uh, Bremerhaven. Well, what uh, I knew about that photo to some degree, because actually it's on the dust jacket of a book called The Holy Reich, where a scholar named Richard Steichmann Gall tries to uh, claim that Hitler did have Christian sympathies. Huh. What's interesting, though, is that after Hitler came to power uh, by, in 1938, there's another edition of that book, the same book that had that photo in it that came out where the cross was airbrushed out of the photograph. Uh, and so there's no cross any longer. Wow. And the caption was changed to the photograph. It now reads something like Hitler after sightseeing in the historic uh, church in oh Bremerhaven. <laughs> That's crazy. So Hitler was distancing himself from Christianity by wow. making that change. And, and Hoffman and Hitler were, were very close. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's pretty clear that that change wasn't kind of made by Hoffman without Hitler's yeah, idea. Yeah, I mean, Hitler yeah. clearly was behind it. We don't have a lot of details about that. But but uh, interestingly, they airbrushed that cross out of it, though. And that that's thing that shows for Hitler to distance himself from Christianity more. And then if you read Hitler's later uh, comments in his table talks, uh, there's... Uh, Hitler's table talks, and here I'm using the German editions because the, the English edition actually was called into question. I think rightly so. Uh, it's not particularly reliable, but there's just as many anti-Christian statements in the German editions of the table talks. If you read those, I mean, Hitler is very clear about his opposition to Christianity. And if you, and if you look at uh, Hitler's secretary's uh, testimony, uh, she wrote a memoir, for exa example, uh, uh, Traudel Junge. Uh, she talks about Hitler being anti-Christian and talk, and it was a very uh, common theme too uh, that Hitler talked about. He talked about Christianity an awful lot yeah. in those table talks, and we also have Rosenberg's diaries, Goebbels' diaries, both of which give us renditions, sometimes which are of the same conversations. Mm. These uh, guys kept a lot of, of diaries. They did good for and, us, <laughs> uh, and so we have information that makes pretty clear Hitler's anti-Christian view. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, people are kind of battling here. Uh, Hitler's your problem. Hitler's your problem, right? Uh, is he evolution's problem? Is he Darwin's problem? Or is he Christianity's problem? And you're kind of uh, working through this and showing people, hey, uh, he was no Christian. And um, is it true that he actually started his own religion? In a sense, wrote, I, I've heard that he actually uh, kind of rewrote the Bible or rewrote the Ten Commandments uh, that you could actually be baptized into Nazism. Is that true? No, not that I'm aware of. There were different rites and ceremonies that some of the neo-pagan uh, Nazi officials uh, tried to promote. And But Hitler was not uh, a neo-pagan. And that's one thing I do show in my book as well. Mm. Himmler and Hess and Rosenberg were very interested in neo-paganism and sometimes occultism. Yeah. Hitler was very opposed to the occult. And there's a very interesting story about that, too, because uh, Hitler would talk behind their backs uh, against Hess and Himmler because of their occult interests. And when Hess uh, fled 
England, uh, fled Germany and and flew to Scotland and parachuted out of there. Hitler blamed it on occultists. He blamed it on astrologers, and and so he he ordered Himmler and the SS to round up the astrologers, and they did. They had this roundup of astrologers and prognosticators and such in Nazi Germany. Uh, right in the early June, uh, Hess had fled in May of 1941, and then so in June they rounded up a bunch of these people. But what's interesting is that Himmler, who'd been officially in charge of this sweep, went ahead and took one of these astrologers named Wilhelm Wolf and got him out of the concentration camp to be his personal astrologer. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> There's all kinds of crazy stuff in history. Oh, yeah. Uh, boy, very interesting. My guest today is Dr. Richard Weikart, and he is an expert on uh, European history, and specifically, he's written several books on Hitler, his relationship to Darwinism, and his religion. So, we're going to be right back. We have one more segment to go, and uh, we'll finish off this amazing uh, discussion. Stay with us. Imagine restoring your health in a peaceful cabin in the forests of Julian, California. Milan Chessman knows the power of nutrition, detox, cleansing, and fasting. She is a 34-year pioneer, best-selling author, and nutritionist, and personally supervises and cares for you with a servant's heart. See testimonials and solutions for common health problems at a1fastingretreat.com, 619-562-5446. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. In 1947, Gordon Tucker began serving San Diego County families. Today, the family tradition continues with two stores, Tucker's Valley Furniture and Cash and Carry, both right across the street in El Cajon at Maine and Mollison. Whether you want today's modern, eco-friendly furniture or authentic Amish furniture from solid cherry wood built in America, let the Tucker family serve your family. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com. A proud sponsor of Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. I will cast my cares on you. You're the anchor of my hope, the only one who's in control. I've Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover, and my website is educateforlife.org. I have a fully online uh, curriculum that you can take if you would like to become uh, well-versed in uh, the truth of God's word. Uh, we have a, a website, unshakablefaith.com. You can actually sign up there. It's got all kinds of stuff. We cover everything you can imagine uh, about religions, about how the Bible was put together, about creation and evolution and, then, and intelligent design and all these sorts of things. My guest today is Dr. Richard Weikart and his website is darwintohitler.com. He has some fantastic books, Darwin to Hitler, The Death of Humanity is another one of his books and a book coming out in November uh, is Hitler's religion and uh, all uh, amazing stuff. If you've been listening to our show so far, it's been very, very interesting. And Dr. Weikart, we left off talking about how uh, Hitler was definitely not a Christian. Uh, It's very obvious through the writings of others as well as his own writings. Uh, But at the same time, he wasn't into paganism. Uh, He he wasn't starting his own religion. Uh, So what did he believe? What was, what was his thought processes and 
how did Darwinism influence him in the decisions he made in regards to things like the Holocaust and so forth? Yeah, well, I, I also show, in, in, interestingly, he not only was not a Christian, he was not a, an occultist, but he also was not an atheist. Uh, he does speak very clearly and often, both in public and in private, uh, that he did believe in some kind of being providence. He calls it providence a lot, uses the word God too. Uh, but it's sort of a vague idea about God that fits closest to pantheism, I argue, in, in my book. That is, he thinks that nature is God. And if you read, uh, for instance, Mein Kampf or his second book, which doesn't have any name to it because it was never published, it's just called Hitler's second book. Yeah. If you read either of those two books, uh, you'll notice that nature often is really uh, personified in a way and deified, really. In fact, interestingly, the translators of Mein Kampf, uh, and there's several translators that have done this, have all capitalized nature a lot of the times throughout the book. Now, we, oh. don't, know, we don't know if Hitler would have done that personally because the Germans capitalized all of their nouns, mm. so nature would have been capitalized in Hitler's writing, but that wouldn't have had the significance. But it's clear that the translators think it has significance. The translators think that this, he's talking about more than just nature as we know it and i think if you if you read carefully in certain places there's one passage for example it gets quoted an awful lot. in fact i think it's probably the most quoted passage of mein kampf where hitler says uh that uh by uh by fighting against the jews he is doing the work of the lord that's a, a comment that is made in Mein Kampf. it's quoted extensively yeah uh, and many people take that to be okay look hitler was a believer in god and religion and such but if you read the surrounding sentences of that, he's talking about nature in the, in the context of nature that thing. Nature as his Lord. And in the very, the very sentence immediately in front of that sentence, he calls, he talks about eternal nature. Uh, and he talks about nature making commands wow. and such. And so if nature is eternal, then he didn't believe in any kind of creator God. And he uses that term eternal nature a number of times, not just once. And that's not just a slip of the pen or something. He uses that term eternal nature a number of other times, too, and in speeches and other kind of things, too. So he believed that nature was eternal. It's it's uh, it is God, in fact. And what's very important about that is that he then drew his ethics from nature, Mm. specifically from the Darwinian struggle for existence, which he saw as being a natural law. And he and he talks about that. Quite often, if you read his second book, for example, he starts off the book talking about the struggle for life, the uh, Lebenskampf in the German. And the word struggle for life is actually the same term that Darwin used as a synonym for the struggle for existence. And Hitler does use the word struggle for existence an awful lot, too. Yeah. Uh, ex- Existenzkampf, Daseinskampf, those are German words that mean struggle for existence. Yeah. The same thing's being used by the Darwinists. He does use the word selection an awful lot. Uh, referring to natural selection. And he describes the Darwinian process. A lot of people make a lot out of the fact that Hitler never mentions Darwin by name. Uh, uh, but if you read carefully, I mean, he describes the Darwinian process. Yeah. He talks about the overpopul- the, po- the population pressure that leads to a struggle between organisms. And this then leads to higher evolution. He uses this term higher evolution. Yeah. Is right. So I mean, he describes the process perfectly. Yeah. And he sees races as being the main focal point in human struggle for existence and so one race against the other why did he conclude that the aryan race was the the superior race from an evolutionary perspective well i think that just came out of the his own uh germanic bias uh, that that uh he's seeing his own race as being the highest yeah. one and it was it was a popular idea i mean he's not the one that invented the idea of course it was an idea that was popular among many other german mm. thinkers at the time 
uh, before him. So he was drawing on a fund of thought that was already in existence there. Uh, and then what happens, too, is that the Jews then become counterpoised, not as necessarily the most inferior race, certainly not the most inferior intellectually, yeah. but as an immoral race, because he, saw, he, thought that bio, he thought that morality was biologically ingrained in us. And so he thought that when the very the different caricatures of a Jew, like a Jew's greedy and lascivious oh, wow. and huh. and deceitful and all these things, he thought those were biological. So the stereotypes, traits. the stereotypes that they have had, had been emblazoned with, he he took those as wow, that's I've never heard that before. That's yeah, very interesting. And, and he wasn't the only one. I mean, there, again, there were others before he took those. Most of the ideas that Hitler had were not original ideas. Yeah. They were really he pulled from a lot of other thinkers, which is why in my book from Darwin to Hitler, I talk about a lot of those other thinkers that were putting forward these kinds of ideas. But yeah, they saw the Jews as being. Uh, an inferior, inferior morally. Yeah. Uh, now, practically speaking, um, what is the the lesson of, of of Hitler's thought process? How does that speak to an individual today? What's the warning? What's the lesson from history in in looking at that? Well, of course, you know, today no one embraces Nazism as Nazism. Well, I shouldn't say no one. There are yeah. neo Nazis out there, but yeah. you know, in terms of the the general public, uh, we don't. However, what I see when I look at the evolutionary ethics, the eugenics movement, which was a movement to improve human heredity, mm. the euthanasia movement in the late 19th and early 20th century, what I see is that these uh, ideologies are devaluing human life. And we see the same thing going on today. It may not be the same human lives. It may be different ones. But this, I, I think we really need to get back to the notion of all men are created equal. Mm. And so... It's not the case that a baby before it's born or even after it's born has less value than an adult because it doesn't have as much rationality or because it doesn't have this trait or that trait. Uh, I think that's getting back to the same kind of inequality uh, that was the big problem with uh, Nazism. Mm. That's what drove Nazism to begin killing people who they identified as being unequal. And it's what's driving us to kill people that we're identifying as unequal. We're killing babies before they're born, in some cases even after they're born. Uh, We're killing people with uh, uh, congenital diseases, especially mental illnesses and diseases. People are beginning to think that we should uh, eliminate them as well. So I think we're getting the same mentality in many ways. So we really got to counteract this idea. Uh, Now, do you think it's evolution in and of itself, or do you think it's something is separate from evolution? Well, I think you can believe in evolution and still have a view of humans as being created in the image of God, but I'm not sure it's a particularly consistent kind of view. It's certainly not the view that most Darwinists have. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them see it, humans as being a, an accidental product of uh, eons of time and thus not having any intrinsic uh, value. Yeah. Certainly in the cosmic sense. Yeah. And as we see, uh, and as as our society views people without intrinsic value, um, we're going to continue to see more pain and suffering and uh, hurt in individuals' lives and in the in the culture as a whole. Exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, really, we have to get back to, and, and even scientifically, I mean, the Discovery Institute, which are a senior fellow at, I mean, their whole point is to show that evolution has incredible flaws in evolutionary theory. Sure. And one of the things in, in my thinking about ethics is I'm tr- trying to get people sort of shaken up to realize that they need to reexamine those questions mm-hmm. because people that think those questions are all settled, they a lot of times their ethical views are not in line yeah. with their scientific views. And so we need to say, okay, which is going to give? Yeah. You know, where are you going to go? Are you going to really go down the road of, of being consistent with your ethical views or are you going to rethink these other views and think, well, maybe I was wrong about those? That's fantastic.
Dr. Weikart, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Real big blessing. And if you like this show, uh, you can pick up a recording. I encourage you again to visit Dr. Weikart's uh, site. That is DarwinToHitler.com. We're going to be back here next Saturday, 2 to 3. And uh, thanks for tuning in today. I hope you have a fantastic Saturday. God bless you. I hope your faith in God becomes unshakable. Did Take you care. miss part of today's program? Don't worry. We're committed to helping you get the info you need. Okay, that was dumb. But for real, visit educateforlife.com for podcasts and video recordings of the show and to sign up for the School of Unshakable Faith. Leave us your comments, compliments, questions, or concerns at 800-243-9719 or email kevcon at educateforlife.com. That's K-E-V-C-O-N at educateforlife.com. You will always be much more to me. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right, but that's all.